0: Good morning, everyone. How are we? Good. It's a very rare pleasure that I get to actually speak to the adults of this church. Um, I think the last preach I did to adults was in Belmarsh Prison. A little bit of a different crowd there. Um, But you guys are probably slightly scarier, I think. Um, So let's just get the first slide up, if that's possible. Amazing. It's already there. Um, So two kind of big topics to cover this morning, kind of covering the topic of money a little bit and possessions and also doing the topic of worry. And obviously, as you've seen, um, I've had a little bit of that recently or naturally I should be worried about what I've been through the last couple of months. Um, And these are two things that have major control over our lives. We need money, obviously, to live in this society, to pay our bills, to pay our taxes and everything else like that. But also, we live in a society that more than ever, we are connected so much through social media, through everything else, that basically we're constantly in comparison with one another. And we're actually going, gosh, do I measure up? Do I look good to any, everyone else? Do I look as beautiful as that person? Do I look as strong as the person I am? am I rich as that person? And, you know, uh, next slide up, please. I was looking at some statistics, and um, these are two surveys that were done. One was by This Is Money, the company, and they found that 55% of people said that their mental health would be negatively affected if they went into financial worry. And the other one was the Money Advice Service in 2019, and one in five in that survey admitted that they were currently struggling with mental health um, problems because of financial issues. And... I just want to say as a church, if you are going through some financial worry right now, we love you and God loves you so much. And we genuinely want you to be able to talk about that with one of us on team here. We want to point you towards good people. There's an amazing group called CAP, which are Christians Against Poverty, and they want to help you. God has inspired them. God has empowered them to help you out of that. So please do come. Do get help. You are so welcome here. God loves you. God loves you more than your money. Okay, so we are in Luke chapter 12. Uh, Turn to um, verse 13. Uh, Next slide up, please. Um, So we're thrown into this story where we have this younger brother, and he goes up to Jesus, and he goes, Jesus, my older brother has kind of got the estate, and he's been given most of the wealth over our father's inheritance And, you know, this younger brother's annoyed. He's like, oh, I'm so angry. Like, Jesus, you need to deal with this. And what do you think Jesus says to him? Basically, in a nutshell, he goes, I don't care about it. Which, like, you don't expect Jesus to say that when it comes to an issue. He goes, that's not the issue I want to deal with this morning. This is not the issue I want to deal with on on this hillside. He He goes and takes this next step and he goes, Beware. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured up by how much you own. And Jesus goes straight to the heart of the issue. And straight at the heart of the issue is this. What measures up a good life? What measures up a good life? And for so many of us, we can look at all these different things and go, that measures up a good life. If I'm like that, if I'm successful in in this thing or that thing, then I've lived a successful life. But what does Jesus say about living a successful life? So he then tells us this incredible parable of a rich man. Now this rich man, he had produced this amazing kind of crop in this year. And he was doing so, so well for himself. And it's been abundant. Kind of similar to someone starting a business. And basically their profit levels are up. You know, it's, their net is amazing. And it's going so, so well. But... This is where the problem is. It was not in the fact that the man was rich, and I really want to say this. This story doesn 't say that he gained wealth by bad um, bad means he doesn 't say he abused his employee, uh, employees to get there it 's just this man has become wealthy but is response is his response to his abundant blessing the right thing and This is what we kind of see. Could you go to the next um, slide, please? And he basically says to himself, I've got all this wealth. I've got all this stuff. So what am I going to do about it? And we have these four I statements. The first I statement is this. I don't have. He's just been given abundance. And he goes, I don't have big enough barns for my abundance. And it's all about me. It's my abundance. So you know what I'm going to do? I know what I'm going to do with my thing. I'm going to build these bigger barns. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to store this stuff for me. And then I'm going to go out and do it. And then I'm going to have. And all of this stuff points to something really big for us as people, especially in our society. It's this radical individualism which goes, I've just had this incredible abundance given to me. God has moved in an amazing way. And we have seen growth in in all this stuff. But is our response often that of going, God, thank you. Thank you so much that you've given this to me. Thank you so much that you've moved in this. Or is it, okay, I've got something now. I'm secure. And Tim Keller, he does a really good um, quote on this. And if you might want to write this down, and it goes, what is the idol here? Is the idol for the rich man here money or is it Security. So, there's two idols here. Like, the surface idol is this guy's got a lot of money, he's rich, it's this kind of idol in front of him. But the deeper idol for him is this idea of, I'm now secure because I have. And how many of us that you've time and time again been looking and looking and looking, going, What is that thing that's going to make me feel that I'm secure? What makes you secure? And this is where we just want to keep pushing in with Jesus, like, What makes us secure? And the rich man, you know, he's going through all this kind of process of going, I've got this, I've got that. And the rich man starts talking to himself and he starts addressing himself by calling him my friend. Now, if someone calls himself my friend, you know there's a bit of a narcissistic issue going on. Um, but he goes like, you know, I am now going to do these four things. And if you're reading the passage, because some people maybe shout out some of the things that he's going to now do, that he's got his security He's going to. He's going to build bonds a bit later. Now look to verse nineteen. What's he going to do? He's going to drink. He's going to be merry. Take it, take it easy. So he's going to do these things. He's going to take it easy. He's going to eat. He's going to drink, and he's going to be merry. He is secure now. He can do all these things, but then God speaks to him, and he goes, "You fool, idiot." Your time is up. Everything you've achieved, and quotation marks there, you've achieved, means nothing now. The only thing that really mattered is your relationship with me, with God. Just let that sink in for a second. How would you react if God said that to you this evening? Would you... How would that feel if God said to you, everything you've achieved with your life actually means nothing because it wasn't about me. It wasn't about the kingdom of God. And the kind of thing we're going to really dive in today is this one thing that I really want us to focus on, and it's this word trust. Next slide, please. And then next slide again. Um, I wanted to tell you guys about a story um, of this family, the Morris family. So, Back in 2013, I'd finished my gap year. I'd been to China twice and served Drudex out there, served young people out there, served the underground church out there. It was an incredible year. Um, and I then started university and I went to do a placement in Essex in Chafford 100. And the summer just before I arrived in 2013, something pretty incredible happened. And this is the story of the Morris family. Um, so there's this guy, Steve Morris, and he loves South Africa. He loves Cape Town. He goes out there. He went out there quite a lot. And this one year, he decided to take his family, took his wife, Dinah, and their little boy, Caleb, who was about two and a half at the time. And they were going around this township in Cape Town, South Africa. And he was just overwhelmed by the poverty around him. And he's basically said he saw this other kind of two and a half year old, three year old, the same age as Caleb. And he saw this kid basically run into this kind of old shack and there were these wires out the wall. It was not safe. And he saw this kid run in and that was that kid's home. And he had Caleb with him and he went, how can I stand here and act like that's not normal? How can I stand here and act like that's okay? And if that kid's going to go and my kid's going to go in as well. So he, he holds Caleb by the hand and they walk into this place and they get talking with the family inside this this little house and you know steve's talking to these people and he's getting to know their names he knows the poor he's experienced the poor and he is just kind of waiting there and suddenly god speaks to him he just hears god saying his ear would you give everything in your bank account right now to serve the poor of this community To give you some context, Stephen, Stephen Diana had been saving up for the last seven plus years. They had about 30 grand in their account and he was like going, he said yes instantly. He said yes instantly to Jesus and then he realized what he had said and he went, how am I going to tell my wife that I've just committed to this in prayer? Um... So he goes to Diana in South Africa and he, he says to her, honey, you need to sit down. God said something a bit crazy to me. I don't know um, how you're going to feel about this. And so he sits her down. And he says, I've just been so overwhelmed by this. And I just so clearly heard God say this to me. And this is her response. She went, this is going to be the best thing we have ever done. They both have been youth workers for years. Uh, basically helping young people out in East London and in Essex. And they basically have given up so much of their lives. And they'd been saving this money to basically get a deposit on a house in Essex and to start and make their family bigger. So, um, straight after this, Steve ended up actually being at New Wine. And he was um, learning the youth work there for the 11 to 14s. And he was like leading kind of all these sessions. And then suddenly, on one morning of New Wine, the main speaker for the adults... Couldn't make it for some reason. So the main leader at New One at the time said to Steve, Steve, would you come up and just share your heart about young people and the poor? So Steve got up the front, and he was sharing his heart about what they were doing in Essex, so running, like, lunch clubs for those kids that can't afford, that have free school meals during the school time, but haven't got food during the holidays, and he spoke about the youth work we were doing, he spoke about all these things that, like, God is using us to bless the poor, and then he started speaking about his heart for South Africa, and then out of nowhere, you can actually watch this online, it's incredible, and he was just sharing his heart, and pouring it out, and going, and God told me and my wife not a few months ago, that we need to give everything in our bank account away, and we're starting to do that. And as he was sharing this story, this old lady um, was just so convicted and she walked up all the way to the front and she laid a 20 pound note at Steve's feet. She laid a 20 pound note at Steve's feet. And what you see in this video as Steve keeps going on, people after person after person get up and just put money, literally physical cash, just at his feet. And at the end of that service, £40,000 was raised for the poor of South Africa. And then by the end of that summer, just before I met Steve, £100,000 had been raised. So his, him and Diana's money and this money at New Wine and other money that had come in. And I'm going to tell you what they've done with that. So they ended up going to South Africa and they built this education centre. And they would basically, for about one year, Steve was basically flying back and forth to South Africa basically helping build this um, centre. This centre today helps 150 students per year get out of the slums. And it helps them get into a place where they're going to have life opportunities like they'd never had before. I had the pleasure one year of, I think my last year at Chafford 100, and this guy called Keenan, who'd basically grown up on the, in, the, um, in Cape Town his whole life, and he basically had been given an opportunity to go overseas. He had been given an opportunity to use his talents. And the amazing thing about that is I got to meet these people. Many of those people that gave on that day at New Wine, they're never going to meet those individuals. But what I want to say about this story, it's not that Stephen Dana did this amazing thing where they gave away 30 grand. It's this. It's the fact that one man was willing to trust God with his bank account. It was that one wife was crazy enough to believe that God had spoken to her husband, and it's that one old lady didn't have a clue that what she was doing was going to cause one of the biggest offerings that that Union had ever had for a single purpose. But this is the thing is they gave all of them gave God their yes, their yes for their lives. And my question to us is has God got the yes for our lives? Because that's scary. But it is so beautiful. So the rich fool, his problem wasn't that he was rich. It was that he didn't give God his yes. He didn't look at at all the abundance and go, wow, what an opportunity. What an opportunity I have in front of me to change the lives of those around me. We were just singing it, that we want to change the lives of those around us. And uh, next slide, please. And this is the commandment we're given By Jesus. It goes, Love the Lord your God. Let me say this together actually. One, two, three. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he follows this by going, Love your neighbor as yourself. With how we behave as Christians in this society, it is not about the fact that we love our neighbor in order to love God. It's that we love God and God compels us with this crazy love for the poor. This crazy love for individuals that haven't got someone to tell them that they are beautiful. Crazy love for people that are on the margins of society. And he goes to us. That love needs to overwhelm us. That love needs to come into us because when God says maybe something crazy, like give everything in your bank account, and I'm not saying that to you today, but if God says something, I'm not going to complain. The poor will love it, and he will love it too. And then we get onto this kind of next bit of the passage. Um, Next slide, please. Jesus gives these kind of two images, one of a raven and one of a lily. Now, a little side note, ravens in kind of Hebrew culture were considered dirty, unclean animals. So you can read that in, where is it gone? Leviticus 11.15. So ravens are unclean, dirty animals. And it says, look, I will even provide for the unclean things of this world. How much more worth it are you? How much more worth it are you? And the other thing he then speaks about is going lilies. Like, Look at these beautiful flowers in the fields. They're there for a day, but then they kind of disappear. And these flowers are dressed better than the best, most wealthy king in the whole of Israel. And John Foreman, a foreman who is the lead singer of a band called Switchfoot, in one of his songs called Your Love is Strong, wrote it like this. He goes that these flowers are better dressed than any girl on her her wedding day. How many of us know what that image looks like of a, a bride dressed on her wedding day? Just get a bit of audience participation here um so a lot of us we know what that looks like we know that image of beauty in our heads and he goes look i do that for things that don't even last a couple of days how much more do i love you and it speaks to this heart of god god is a god of love god is good and i think we can look at that kind of we can hear that thing about god saying to steve give away all your money Give away all your money. Give away the security that you're going to have in life for the poor. And we can go, God, that's really mean. If we don't know the heart of God. Because the heart of God was, you're going to have a much better story. And you're going to still grow your family. And to this day, Steve and Diana, they've had another, I think, three kids after Caleb. And they've just decided to actually move back to the UK. Um, And what they actually saw was... And this is kind of another bit of the story. Once they um, had given all this money away, some rich guy that they didn't even know basically gave every penny back to them in their bank account, and then they gave that away again. They are not interested anymore in keeping up with the Joneses. They're not interested in keeping up with some status of society. They're going, We have something way better. Is that I can look, these guys can look us in the eye and go, You know what? It's not about us. We are the rich of the world. We are the rich. If we live in the UK, most of us, we are the rich of the world. And if we can give opportunity to those that would never be given opportunity, then we should. We should. We should should be convicted. And I'm not telling you to go go to the extent that Stephen Downer goes to, but I'm telling you that if Jesus says something over your life, are you willing to say yes? Am I willing to say yes? It's a big thing. It's a huge thing. Uh, Next slide, please. Um, And there are different reasons for why we worry. One of them is not getting what we want. You know, I want to get those amazing grades in school. I want to get that promotion at work. I want to have this. I want to have that. But the thing is, like, there are so many circumstances in which those things aren't going to happen. And what happens when you don't get that? You worry. The next thing is... Getting what you want and losing it. How many of us have, you know, gained, we've got friends and then we've lost them. We've lost our reputation. We've all these things that we basically, we crave for and crave for. And we believe that once we get to it, our identity will be secure. Our hope will be secure. Our family will be secure. But then we lose it. And what about getting what you don't want? An illness, an unexpected bill. I don't want to be ill at the moment. I don't want to be ill. I don't think that's what God has for my life. But I have a choice in this. I can either get worried and I can either go into despair and I can either do that or I can just turn my eyes to Jesus and go, God, I trust you and I worship you and I pray to you alone. And I'm not saying this as a hypocrite. I'm doing that. It's hard. And it's hard to see your dad suffering I'm um, struggling as well. But we want to get real here. We want to get real here that... We worry all the time, and we're consumed with this, but what is the bedrock, people? What is the bedrock for our lives that is going to give you security in a way that you've never known it before? I'm just going to pray quickly. I'm going to do a little bit more, but I just want us to pray quickly. Yeah, let's just bow our heads. Um, Father, you know us. You know what we're going through in this room right now. You know, Father, the worry that is on our minds And Jesus, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you're a good father. I thank you that you want to do more than we could ever comprehend or imagine. So Jesus, we invite you in right now to our hearts and we want to say yes to you. We want to say yes to your movement in our lives. Come, Lord Jesus. And at the end of this passage, Jesus finishes off with three things. The first, uh, next one, please. The first is a reminder. God is a good father. And I want to give you some characteristics because for some of us in in this room, we don't know what a good father looks like. And this is some descriptions I want to give you. This is someone that provides accountability to you. This is someone that provides protection, a listening ear, affection, encouragement, stability, faithfulness, gentleness, and discipline. He provides our needs. He says to us, trust me, I've got you. And it's not saying to you and like really horribly going, don't worry, don't worry, it's going to be fine. It's, it's like a father, a loving father, like I've just described, coming around you with their, shoulder, their arm around your shoulder and going, I'm here. I know your needs. I love you. The second is this aim, and it goes, seek first his kingdom above everything else. What Stephen Diner did was go, we have this one life on earth. When I'm before God, he's not going to look at my house. He's not going to look at my car. He's not going to look at my shoes. He's not going to look at some inheritance I left for my kids. You know what he's going to look at? He's going to look at what you did for the poor. He's going to look at how we treated one another. He's going to look at how you prayed. He's going to look at the generosity in the relationship you have towards him. He doesn't care about the rest. He cares about you so much and he cares about the poor and he wants us as a church, this church right now, to get our hearts and our minds fixed on this different reality of what measures up a good life. That's the first question. What does measure up a good life? Is it our finances? No, it's not that. It is how we were generous towards God and how God said something to us. He gave us a vision. He gave us a passion for people. And he went, and we went out and we went, okay, I'm just going to do this, Jesus. I'm just going to give some of this money away. I'm not going to just ignore that homeless person anymore. I'm not going to just spend this or that time doing this or that. I'm going to live the life you called me to because it's the best life I could ever live. And then this is the challenge. And Jesus is not easy. He, go, he says this. He goes... Sell your possessions, give them to the poor. And I'm not telling you anyone in this room today that we need to have this kind of poverty gospel that if you are poor, therefore God will bless you. And I'm not going to speak also about this kind of prosperity gospel. It's like, if you do X, Y, and Z, God is going to bless you beyond everything else. There's a middle point and it's called generosity. It's called generosity. And I'm not saying that purely financially. That could just be the fact that You see someone struggling and you put your arm around them and you pray for them, even if you want to go and hang out with someone else at the time. It means hanging out with that kid that no one wants to hang out with. It means building up people when no one else is going to build them up. It's using your time, your resources, and your effort and going, God, I want to have a rich, generous relationship with you. And from that place, I want to move and do crazy things. So we've got this option that we could be a radical church in this nation. The UK could be one of the most radical churches in the world because we have the resources to do it. We have this amazing history and everything else. But the thing is, are we containing it within this building? Are we containing it amongst this community here? Or are we going to step forward? Are we going to take a step out? About a year and a half ago, um, I had about... We, we have, like, the youth group split into two. So we have some of the older ones, and we were running kind of youth stuff at them. And then we had a few younger ones, about four younger youth. And I just felt God put on my heart this thing. He put this picture of the kingdom of heaven on my heart. And there's a passage in Luke, and it says, Go out onto the streets and bring in everyone that you see. And um, as of um, the last um, couple of months, we've now grown to 25 young people. We've started doing Alpha with them and we're telling them about Jesus, kids that have never heard the gospel in their entire lives. And the thing is, that wasn't me. I've done absolutely no promo at all. I spent a good year though just praying that God would do something, that God would move powerfully. And he's bringing people into our community that we never thought we'd see. And the thing is, we have a choice as a church to be like, am I going to be generous in my relationship in prayer to God and wait for the miracle to happen? And even if it doesn't happen, I still want to be generous because that's what God judges me on at the end of the day. He judges me on the fact that I was generous in my prayer life. You know, I think of Steve and Tara and the work they're doing um, in West Asia. You know, they obviously haven't seen tons of fruit they've seen some stuff but they've been there for years and they've just gone on and on and on and on faithfully serving Jesus and you know what I believe when they meet Jesus face to face Jesus is going to sit them down and go my good and faithful servants how you've served me so I just get this this whole kind of topic is just so on my heart because I just believe that the best days of the UK church aren't over yet I think, God is, I think God has shaped us down and chiseled us down so, so much because he needed to. I genuinely believe that. I believe he wants to get rid of all the nominalism and I, pr- I, I pray that he gets rid of all the apathy in our churches and that he turns our hearts to the poor because I believe once this church is full of the poor, we're going to see radical movement in this nation. And the thing is, we have one choice and it's we either say no to God and we can sit in this church we can sing nice songs have nice music whatever or we can say yes and go God bring the mess into this building bring all of it in bring the dread in bring the prisoners the ex-prisoners in bring um every part of society into this building how different would our congregation look how uncomfortable would we feel the fact that we couldn't just leave our coat somewhere because someone might steal something you know, if we're too comfortable to leave your coat out in this building, we're probably doing something not right. We want everyone in here. We want to have a place that's so inclusive. And are we ready for that? Are we ready to give God our yes? Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this room now. Lord, we invite you to speak to us. We invite you to move our hearts. We invite you to to change something within us, Lord. We invite you to say what you want to say right now. Yeah, just wait on Jesus. And I want us to do something brave in this room today. I want us to ask Jesus, what do you want to do with my life? What do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to give? How do you want me to serve? I'm just going to wait a minute and then I'm, we get praying for each other as well in a second. But let's just wait. Ask God that. He might give you a picture. He might give you a word. It might it might be a thought in your head or a prompting to something God's put on your heart before. Let's just wait.